The Bob Murphy Show, episode 143. There's a tidal wave coming. What you gonna do? Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews, conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. In this one, I'm going to be talking with Eric July. And let me mention, I had alluded to this back a few episodes ago when I did the introduction for my discussion with Dan Sanchez. Eric and I are going to geek out on superhero stuff, and I ask him his take on the fascinating question of why is it that the Marvel movies do so much better? Why are they just making better movies than the DC ones? And what's interesting is Eric gives an answer that is the exact opposite of what I said when Dan Sanchez and I were discussing this. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, yeah, I think Eric's actually right. All right, so I'll I'll just tease you with that, so keep your ears open for that. Let me also, I know many of you already know who Eric is, um, but let me just read you an excerpt from the bio he has for himself at his website, because some of these details I didn't realize. Though believing it to be a good problem to have, Eric July is involved in dozens of different avenues which can be attributed to his work ethic and upbringing. Born and raised in Dallas, Texas, his early life was not easy, and he often found himself in trouble one way or another. He did, however, create a buzz under the moniker of YG Rippa as a rap artist and knuckle-headed teenager. With the encouragement of his mother and his own persistence, July eventually used his God-given athletic ability to land himself a track and field scholarship. Ending up at Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi, July had a solid collegiate career, breaking the 100-meter school record, which still stands. But it was through these years where Eric decided to give it a shot at being a vocalist in other genres, such as metal and punk rock. July was all in, even changing the content of his YouTube channel, filling it with metalcore vocal covers. He received initial backlash from his fan base, but he eventually got the eyes and ears of fans and ended up fronting his first successful metal act, Fire From The Gods. A few years later, he left the band due to creative and economic differences and became a founder of a street hop metalcore act known as Backwards. The band's debut album, Veracity, landed on several Billboard and SoundScan charts, which included the number one alternative new artist and number two Heat Seekers album in 2017. And of course, as maybe you know, Eric is also very much involved in the anarcho-capitalist libertarian movement. And uh, I think that's enough background for you. And we talk about those things. But like I said, Eric is also really into superhero stuff, comic books, and we talk about that too. Because we cover everything here on The Bob Murphy Show. So without further ado, here is my discussion with Eric July. Well, Eric, welcome to The Bob Murphy Show. Hey, man, thank you for having me. It's a long time coming. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's like, it took you long enough, right? Yeah. Um, so now I'm going to apologize because you probably did this already, like when Tom Woods had you on originally, but I know there are some of my listeners who don't know your backstory. They just know that, oh, this is a musician. So can you explain to us just, you know, what? how did you come across these ideas yeah, well, it, man, it was a, I mean, it was a journey for sure. I mean, I grew up kind of uh, adopting the more leftism, um, really Marxism more than anything, mm-hmm. 
Um, and now, are you saying in, that now, or you mean at the time you were a self-identified Marxist? At the at the time, at mm -hmm. the time, for sure. Like um, that was just what it was. Like that was what I adopted. Um, I thought it was a cool, edgy thing to adopt. It wasn't necessarily that saying that I was so rooted in the philosophy that I knew it back to front because I didn't. I know more about it now mm -hmm. uh, than I did back then. Um, and, you know, just growing up sort of in that more so that culture. And my, my mother and them wasn't necessarily Marxist, but they were they were leftists for mm -hmm. sure. And, um, you know, just the journey of economics is more of what did it for me. I always say that I was stuck in this box of like, uh, even back then, this box of, okay, I want to learn about economics, but I want to learn about the black economists. I don't want to hear right. anything from the white economists, right. of course. So thankfully, I stumbled across the likes of both Dr. Thomas Sewell and uh, Dr. Walter Williams. Mm -hmm. And it just completely changed my life uh, because that sent me down a rabbit hole like no other. And obviously learning about the Chicago school then learning about the Austrian school and then, you know, Hayek quickly turned into Rothbard. And it wasn't it was a really quick journey in, in that sense that it was I guess it was long, but. It, it didn't take me long once I figured it out and mm -hmm. I could understand what I was learning more so. It didn't take me long to go full-blown full, full blown ANCAP at all. Um, it's just one of those things that I had to learn and expose myself to these other ideas and these other options. And this is why I love so much about what Walter Williams was doing, like uh, the State Against Blacks and and, mm -hmm. and, and and things of that nature that were really highlight Even some of the more legitimate concerns that maybe Black America or people have uh, he could he worded it in a sense like, OK, this is the issue, not this, not over here. This is more so um, the issue. So philosophically, by, you know, early, you know, I was probably 20 philosophically when I started to uh, have that change. And then, you know, by 2012, I was all I was all all in. And what I did was start to implement that into like the music stuff that I did mm -hmm. it was in an old band called Fire from the Gods. Well, we dropped a song called The Capitalist. That was the name of, that was the last song that we released. Well, it wasn't the last, second to last song that we released, last music video that we released when I was in that band. That was like, again, I was way back in the, in the gap. And yeah, it, it was just one of those things where I grew philosophically, got more confident in what, what it was that I did. Um, so the, putting it in music turned into putting it on video, right? You know, which turned to uh, appearing on podcasts and, and, and everything. So it was just... I wanted to learn more, and this is why what I encourage other people to do before they try to inject themselves into every single conversation in regards to politics or economics. Learn about it first, you know what I'm saying, and, and then become knowledgeable on it, mm -hmm. and and then that's when you get more so that confidence to to speak out against it and use it in everything it is that you do, whatever subculture it is that you're involved in. So, so to be clear, that song, the capitalist, at that time, were you pro capitalist, or at that you were still I, I was still pro-capitalist. Okay. I was pro-capitalist uh, for sure. That that was just, that's the mark of what I would point to where like that was one of the first songs that I did with a band that really espoused some of the the ideas that I believed in right. and and that everybody heard. Now, that whole EP that we had dropped when I was still in that band, Fire From The Gods, I mean, some listeners that know those guys are still around, still still doing, doing their thing. Uh, but that whole EP was centered around that. Really, you had the capitalists. We had a song called uh, Secede. Like, I had all these kind mm -hmm. of ideas back. This is before Backwards. This is before mm -hmm. my current band. Uh, but I was already putting those ideas sort of in mm -hmm. those songs. But absolutely, I was pro-capitalist. Pro and I learned very quickly, very quickly, mm -hmm. that I was in a... 
<laughs> a a subculture or genre that wasn't really with this. And it was a, I don't want to say it was a wake-up call. I just didn't understand how bad it was until I got so much pushback from people not liking what it not the music, but they didn't like what I was saying. Right. Um, and that was certainly a wake-up call for me in, in 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 that context. So can I ask before this, before your you know conversion from you know reading all these free market econo- mm-hmm. or economists, was your music political or it wasn't political and this made it or you know what I mean like were you doing yeah well I had made music that was that touched on like the more social political thing not more so the economics at all it was just more of the 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 social economic stuff was more so what I what I touched on you mean like uh, like police and, it, and it, things like that or yeah like I, I would talk about that I remember I dropped when I was doing this rap stuff I was still in college at the time I dropped this sort of EP that well it wasn't an EP it was an album it was certainly an album that it was straight rap. This was not with a band or anything. And I was talking about like some of those issues, but don't get me wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was dropping like pro Marxist music or anything right. like that. That wasn't, wasn't the case. It was just, obviously you could tell philosophically I wasn't where I was at now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I dropped those bits in a, in a, in songs. So I, they were not political at all, but in the ones that were political, it was more of uh talking about the environment and even a lot of that stuff is still positions that I hold today. Uh, like I had, I had a song called like, I'm no, I'm not, I'm no, I'm nobody's victim. That was the name of the song. And I was talking about responsibility and for some of the things I grew up gangbanging, you know, mm-hmm. basically taking responsibility for the things that I was doing, you know, tormenting my own neighborhood and tormenting my own, really my mother as well, uh, putting her through hell and, 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 and doing some of the crazy stuff that I was doing. So that was more so what it was. It wasn't nearly as, as on the nose as some of the music maybe is like was when I when I joined Fire or definitely backwards, uh, but it, it certainly wasn't. I wasn't dropping like pro strictly pro like leftist music or anything like that. I wasn't really that that political to be fair with my music back mm-hmm. in the gap. Okay, so you, then just to return to what you said a minute ago that you were saying that it was. Like you knew there was probably like a leftist bias in your genre of music, but you didn't realize how bad it was until you tried to break free and then you saw the pushback? Most definitely. Like I knew that that was some of the ideas that they adopted, but this was unlike anything I could have ever anticipated because you're talking about people, um, you know, really being like aggressive online and, and, and you know, telling me about it. It's like how much they were against it. Nobody really for the most part um, knocked me like like in person or anything, but I did get instances where like my band members that because uh, I joined Fire, I joined that band. Like the band, I kind of changed it a lot, really, because the band was a deathcore band before I joined. And when I joined, we kind of changed it into more metalcore. I was doing more singing, uh, obviously, and they didn't have clean vocals back in the back with the old band. So, but you did have people that were fans of the guys that were in the band. Right, that did that knew them obviously before they knew me, and you could see how and more so what I picked up, and you know, my bandmates talking like, man, so and so really had an issue with with the lyrics to this particular song, and they were taking it out on you know the the other members, you know what I mean, and that. So I was seeing how it was impacting uh, not only myself but the rest of the band, and and how pe- you know people were really like, really like actively against it, and I I just wasn't anticipating that. Even though I knew the bias existed, I just did not really anticipate that it was going to be that bad mm-hmm. uh, where you it was almost like you had those individuals that wanted to straight up ostracize you. And I found out a little bit more of that when I joined when I created backwards, 
how much you have people in the game that just want to make sure you see no success because of your politics. You get turned down to opportunities and, and, and so forth. But yeah, I found out really quick that there was the bias was unlike anything in it. Even I, when I tell people about it that aren't really necessarily in the music, like even you thinking it, it, you can't even possibly think about how bad you might think it's bad. Like most people will accept generally that uh, definitely when it comes to the more hardcore influence, punk influence, like they always have a heavy le leftist bias. But trust me, until you actually are there, it's unlike really anything that you could you could ever fathom. Like it, what, it's that times like three in terms of what you can imagine how bad it is when when it comes to the heavy slant. Um, of more so the acceptable opinion and political positions that you must have. Now, can I ask, is it, what was it, was the feedback sort of like just, well, no, you're wrong and here's the reasons, or was it more like, don't you see you're hurting the cause if you go out and say stuff like that? Both. I would say mm -hmm. a little bit of both for sure. The latter though, I, I think we got a lot of that. It was like, they, I was advocating for something that was antithetical to what it was that they were advocating. Mm -hmm. Right. So they felt that it was an that was an issue. Like a lot of people felt like this is not the genre, even right. We're dealing with this t today. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I've talked about this. Uh, I can't remember if I talked about this with Tom, but I discussed how uh, there was this big thread, right? It's post uh, George Floyd. So everybody's mm -hmm. in the, it's signaling these days, right? So post, there was this thread, right? That was including a bunch of like black musicians more so that were in rock in mm -hmm. some capacity, right? And it was just, it was cool. It was really, it was really uh, awesome. And then it got to me, right? Uh, I got mentioned in this thread and you could see, <laughs> see the difference in like the people that would be all right with everybody else. They were like, Take this guy off the list. One guy said he's an ANCAP. He, he can't, you got to, you have to take him off the list because he's an ANCAP. It was bad. Like it was bad, but it was completely different from what it was in terms of how they were reacting with everybody else. So they consider us, the band, a, me, a threat to what it is that they advocate. Mm -hmm. So that's why it, it's, it's a little, it's a little deeper than just, okay, we don't like what it is that you're saying. It's more, uh, you're, you're against what we're saying. Right? right, you're against what we're saying. You advocate against what we advocate. Therefore, you're a problem. You're a threat. So, and they treat you like that. They absolutely treat you like that. And um, I'm okay with it. I love the challenge, but it's just like I said, I, I, I didn't anticipate. It. I didn't know it was going to be this bad. So, is that partly was it this kind of stuff that led you to leave the one band and then go form backwards, or is that a separate thing? Uh, well, some of it was like more of the. I would say the reason why I left was more more economic and it had less than it was more band economics it was more right. like i didn't like the uh, the direction that we were going i felt like we had a foundation that we still needed to lay and they were trying to really bite off more than they can chew doing the touring thing and, and 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 stuff and i was just like i think we have we got some groundwork that we need to lay so so i parted ways with them and uh yeah we formed backwards but backwards the difference between backwards and fire was that backwards i started right mm -hmm. i started the band started and, you know, with the, my other fellow ANCAP, uh, like more public ANCAP, meaning that, you know, he talks about this, Alex, the band, my bandmate, like we came together and we knew this was what we were going to do. It was like, if we're going to do it, we can't, we got to do it un unapologetically because it's not going to work if we don't. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we formed the band with the idea. No, not every song is going to be political. Not every song is going to be pure ANCAP. But we're open with what it is that we advocate and we wear it on our sleeves. 
Um, this is unlike any other band really in our in our genre in terms of having the politics that we have. Everybody else is oppressed. It's like, you know, we'll go on tour with these bands and like the band's drummer or something's like, man, I agree with all of what you say, man. But, you know, I can't we can't say that. Um, and it's more things like that because they're mm-hmm. afraid. And I understand it. I just wish they wouldn't be. But I understand mm-hmm. it. Like, yeah, you, you get a target put on your back when you do that. But backwards, we came we came together. I think it's why it worked so well, because it was all put on the table before we even became backwards. It was like this is direct, the direction that we're going to go in. Uh, we're going to be as open as we possibly can about what it is that we we personally advocate. And we know it's going to come with a bunch of pushback, but we cannot apologize for who it is that we are. So is it true to say everyone in the band agrees with it or some guys don't Absolutely. care either way? Absolutely. Okay. Like not everybody is like me and Alex, of course, are the guys that are rather open mm-hmm. and more like we speak publicly about it. The other guys are... I would say more apolitical than anything. Like mm-hmm. they don't really get in, they don't care to get involved in that. And that's not to say that we agree about everything economically, of course. Uh, you know, but sometimes on the social stuff, you know, Brian, for example, I may not see eye to eye with him, but it's all in love and it's right, all right. in like for the most part, we all are are what libertarians, you know, that's mm-hmm. what it what it is. And it's specifically the guys that really uh the brains behind the operation in terms of like the the marketing and everything, myself and and Alex are actual like proud public and caps that we, you know, we not in the band and we're talking about this. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? The other guys aren't really into the, like they're more apolitical. That's how I'm more so like they're libertarian, but they're more apolitical in the sense that they don't really speak publicly or anything about it unless they're with us uh, about politics. They care about more, more other stuff, mm-hmm. so, which is okay. To right. Me. So do you think you have actually like a, a better ability to, engage with people on the left since you came from that? Oh, man. I would say yes. Um, I, I have. Yes, me coming from that. And even existing, for example, in the genre that we exist in, look, there are, there's the pushback, like I mentioned, that exists. Of course it exists. But we plant seeds, and every show that I've ever done, for the most part, we get off the stage, we go to the merch table, and there's always the guys that come and say, hey, I didn't even know about this philosophy till I heard it from you, mm-hmm. right? I, I didn't hear it, like, I, I, I didn't know, I didn't even know about it, and then I wanted to learn more, you know what I mean? And sometimes they don't get it, that show, of course, they may get it three, three months, three years, you know what I'm saying, from now, where the seed actually grows. Mm-hmm. So, me, not only just being a former leftist, but more so being like, I, I really can't get away from them because I was born into that, but also in the genres that I perform and other subcultures that I'm involved in with the comic book stuff. It's like, I'm surrounded by these guys, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they hear me. They know I exist. They may not like me, but there's always those guys that are kind of on the outside. And they're like, well, that guy kind of has a point there. Right. I get emails. The band gets messages all the time about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. People wanting to learn more. And then I get to send them to the to the Tom Woods and the Bob Murphy's of the world that have so many write ups. Definitely you yourself with. I think one of the bigger question is like privatized law, private law society mm-hmm. like that stuff that I can send. I can send them your work on, on that. And it's one of those things where I, I feel like I'm one of those guys that can kind of bridge a gap there mm-hmm. because, yes, I did come from that line of thinking. So definitely when it comes to more black culture, 
uh, you know, I have that that going for me, but also just in the music and the genre and the culture that we're involved in. Um, it, it exposes us to a lot of these guys. And yes, we do get that pushback. Yes, we're you got to expect that. But you can always see that there's those couple of guys. If I can perform in front of, you know, 500 people, there's going to be a couple of them at least that are like, well, some of what he said there was it made a little more sense. Mm -hmm. Why don't I ask him maybe more about it? Right. And uh, to me, that's what it's about. Letting that just planting it and letting that seed grow. So I don't know if this question is going to make sense to you, but I'm wondering, especially the more intellectual ones when you're grappling with, if you ever do en engage with yeah. them, mm -hmm. how much of it is it that they they misunderstand what you actually stand for, or is it that no, actually your their value system is different, and like there's well, no way that just talking is going to resolve that. I think that with some of them, yes, you can't reason them out of a position that they got to by way of emotion. I say that all the time. But some of them really don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Like some of them, they, like, they legitimately have no idea what it is. They don't understand what the philosophy actually is, which is why you get so many people that straw man. They actually believe that stuff is the truth. They mm -hmm. actually believe like these are the ideas that we advocate. So, you know, sometimes, yeah, I can, I can go into a conversation with someone and there's like, well... You said this, wouldn't that mean this, this, and that? And I'm like, no, it doesn't. No, no, no it doesn't at all, actually. Mm -hmm. And this is why. So I do get those opportunities. And philosophically, I would, I would, I'm, I'm being completely honest, rarely have I gotten like really like people that are more so that just want to like have a discussion, more so an actual debate. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where they feel like they're right and I'm wrong and they right. want, they think they can beat me in a battle of wits. To be honest, in, in our genre, I don't think I've had one person that that's that's come up to me with that. I've had one of my old guys from my previous band. Uh, well, not well. He didn't. Uh, he wasn't in the band, but he knew me from being in Fire. And he asked me. There's another band that we used to perform with a lot. His uh, is a big time. Uh, they're one of their. I guess not one of their. Their front man is a big time Bernie guy. Big time leftist. And he had asked me. I think he's the drummer of that band, if I'm not mistaken. He's like, "Hey man, I would love to set up a debate." between a discussion between you and, and him. I was like, let's do it. And it never came to anything. But that was the only one time that I mm -hmm. that I ever remember somebody at least trying to do that. For the most part, it, it's not that. Like, mm -hmm. definitely, even, I offer myself to a lot of these guys all the time. I'm like, ah, you're saying this, you're saying that. I would love to have a live discussion with you. And almost all the time, it gets declined. I mean, I'm dealing with that in libertarian circles, left libertarian circles right now. Right. Um, you know, in, in terms of that. So a lot of these guys, their position is dependent on, I hate to say it, the majority of the people that are around them. So they have the convenient position. Mm -hmm. A lot of them don't really know. A lot of them is just, that's mm -hmm. kind of just what it is. They don't really, they don't really know why they believe what they believe in. It's rhetoric it's just talking points it's it's not that they're actually they, they got there by way of reason mm -hmm. this is why they have uh, most of them i would argue have an inability to even argue their position against someone and they don't understand the other people that are critical of them it's just straw manning it's like right. oh well you you are anti us therefore or anti our ideas therefore you hate poor people it's right. like well no that's that's not my position at all uh so rarely though do i get those types that want to engage with me to have a flat out debate. Usually it's more questioning and uh, they at least want to learn uh, something about what it is that I believe in. I want to see if I can actually, uh, if I have the capacity to actually, you know, 
form an argument, you know what I mean, against mm. some people that would, let's say, argue against me. So that's more so what it is. It's more conversational with those guys. But a lot of those guys, I think the reason that's the case is because they didn't get to their positions by way of any reason at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the reason I'm asking that is because I've noticed like somebody who's like a standard Democrat or something, you know, they mm-hmm. assume, oh yeah, libertarians, it's because they hate poor people. Like you said, like real yeah. silly or, oh, they're against p- public education because they don't care if kids know how to read or not, you know, like goofy thing. But yeah. like in grad school, I really got into, I was trying to build bridges with like anarcho-socialists mm-hmm. and we were going back. And it got to the point where I realized like, no, they just don't believe in private property, period. Yeah. And it was, you know, I mean, like, like it, that was a very important like component of their value system is some people shouldn't own more than other people, period. And I was like, wow, that that's kind of a fundamental, like they're, they're not going to yeah, like come the, over. W- w- there's no, it's, it's hard. You can't bridge a gap there. Like right. it, because they reject the, they reject the bridge in its entirety because, you know, they are anti-private problem. This is why I've been having this conversation with libertarians to this day. It's like, we have, I understand, even Rothbard had to bump his head on, on, on this type mm-hmm. of thing as well. You know what I mean? I understand this whole, we want to build these coalitions. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. But there are certain individuals that, like, they reject what we, what is core to what it is that we believe in. Like, private property rights, mm-hmm. that's, like, fundamental. Like, that's just fundamental. And they reject it. They reject it in its entirety. And it's very difficult to 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 get through to those types because they're like, no, you're you're wrong on on everything because they reject what we believe in at it at its core and it's it's very difficult uh to to engage with those guys and certainly get on the, even bother to get on the same page to try to make to a more freer society and it's because they reject what it is that we believe in in principle so that's why I'm curious were you one of the few or was it never, even when you thought you were a Marxist that technically wasn't you rejected private property per se? Was it more like- Well, no, I, look, when I was a Marxist, like I said, I, it, it, it was less educational. Like I didn't know what it is. I, I thought it was, you know, Shea shirt wearing kind of, you know. I like, got you, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, it's like one of those kind of guys. But the thing was, I <laughs> bring this up. Like I was in college during, uh, you know, Obama, like that that whole ordeal. And all it really took for me to want to even, like I, I did kind of mention the fact that, okay, economics was it. But it wasn't just that. Like that was the rabbit hole that I went down. But what made me want to even entertain economics was losing arguments, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't reason, though. It wasn't like they they were reasoning me because I thought I was right and I just thought they were stupid, hated, hated poor people, hated black people type of thing. But- it was more so I got shamed out of the position, right? I got shamed. I got shamed into having to learn more that because I'm like, damn, I can't keep making a fool of myself engaging in these conversations. Um, I need to go learn more, right? Mm-hmm. That's what incentivized me to do it. It was less about that person that I was arguing because I, I argue with like college Republicans and stuff. And it was it was less about them beating me. It was more so about the fact that I was losing. And it was that was more what it is. Like I didn't care to adopt their position. I was like, I need to learn more about what it is that I believe in or what what it what things are and not necessarily what I want them to be, how they are, and kind of going from there. Um, but most definitely, like I would say there was a, it was because of that more shameful element because of how I felt, it was less reason. It wasn't necessarily like I reasoned that person. Like I connected that person, someone connected the dots for me that I was arguing and that's how I, it wasn't that there was there wasn't necessarily what what got me there yes reason reason helped mm-hmm. but 
it was more of the fact that I was losing arguments and I was shamed out of my old position to learn about positions in general, learn about economics in general. And obviously that sent me down a rabbit hole. And now I'm obviously log logic is how I got here. But I would argue for a lot of people, and this is why I know a lot of libertarians hate to hear this, like a lot of people get to their positions by way of emotion. And it's very difficult to reason that person out of a position. And this is why I think culturally, uh, this is why, for example, me get engaging in music is something that's very helpful because a lot of people will listen to that stuff and they, they can they can make and hate us a lot. But a lot of I mean, even the people that exist in our genres know that we get down. Right. They know that we can play. They know that we have great. Uh, we got talent. Right. So they can't deny that. But. That's I always call that like a communicative barrier, like it's communicative ice, because I've now exposed a party of people that just, you know, they're bobbing their head, they're mopping, they're moshing. Like that's I've exposed these people to something that they previously wouldn't have ever even thought about, but more so probably would have went out their way to avoid. Mm -hmm. But because I put packaged it in a way that they died, they were able to digest it. And I had that it was a more of an emotional connection more than anything. And that led to something else and led to a larger conversation. So, uh, it, like I said, it's, it's going to be very difficult for me to just talk to someone unless they got to their position by way of reasoning. Maybe there are leftists that did. Maybe there are, le are leftists that did. You know, they connected the dots and they made they took a wrong turn somewhere, but they they may have got there by way of connecting said dots. I think those are going to be the more ones that are most responsive to that more modern libertarian message. I just don't believe that it's that many of them. <laughs> so this is a good segue into, because uh, I wanted to ask you more recently, you had some people giving you pushback. I, I guess, mm -hmm. w w would they be left libertarians? Is that yeah, fair? Yeah, those types. So yeah. can you maybe explain, you know, what the issue was, you know, what, what, what the controversy was over? Yeah. So a lot of the controversy, you know, that came from, I lift libertarians, a lot of these guys are so disingenuous. And context doesn't matter at all to these guys. They love to take isolated comments, isolated things, and try to present them as because yes, if you did isolate it, they would seem a lot worse than what they what actually was said. This is why context matters. So I posted, um, you know, when this whole thing had popped off, and you know, everybody's asking, "Where are the libertarians? Where are where are the libertarians? The feds are kidnapping people. Where are the libertarians?" And I was, and I would so, say like, so Eric, man, just in case people are listening to this down the road, what, yeah. what is the, this thing that, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so what happened? Uh, so obviously out in Portland, there had been cases of some people that were taken like by unmarked people to unmarked vans that were guilty. Well, they thought they were, oh, this is what we kind of covered after the fact, but let's just say for the sake of conversation, they thought that it was just random. They were just mm -hmm. picking people off. Uh, and that's why they effectively called it kidnapping the Fed, the federal government in Portland. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, at that, this time in Portland, there's a whole lot going on. Uh, this isn't just some peaceful protest. This is more so, you know, people are taking it, you know, Mol we're talking Molotov cocktail, you know, damaged property, that type of thing that was happening. And let's just, I called them rival gangs initially because mm -hmm. it was like, look, like the federal government's getting into it with these with uh, some people that are pretty open about their what they uh, adopt in terms of their communistic ideas. And now when I see them getting into it, I just, as far as I'm concerned, those are just rival gangs. And I said that people get what they deserve 
and not getting the support of libertarians or not having libertarians try to jump in front of a bullet for them mm-hmm. as they have talked down upon libertarians, talked down upon libertarianism, uh, rejected it in its entirety. I think it's silly for them to then turn around and be like, hey, libertarians, why why, why aren't you helping us? Right. Why aren't you grabbing and, the and guns? Just, and I had interrupted you, but because so, yeah, you had been explaining that it was... I think you were responding to the critique, like some left libertarians were like, geez, libertarians are, you know, can comment on all kinds of stuff, and yet the feds are here kidnapping people, and all of yep. a sudden it's crickets. Yeah. And the implication being that, you know, libertarians actually don't believe in their principles. <laughs> yeah, okay. basically so, that so was more so. Am I right in, like, you were responding to that criticism? Yeah, I was, saying, yeah, I was yeah. responding to that criticism, right. right? Like, and this is why I had said initially, like, I can be against two things. Two things can be true at the same time as well. I cannot, I don't have to go out of my way to individually, let's say, defend a communist um, or, or anything like that to also say that, well, I don't like the federal government doing this and I don't like communists, like, oh, communism, mm-hmm. let's say that. Like, that's an easy position to have. Really, really, really easy. Easy. And, well, what I said, when I said they got what they deserve, another person asked me, uh, it shows me some guy, I guess guy, I don't know what it was. If he got hit with tear gas, a bottle, or or was it beanbag or something like that? And he asked me, did he get what he deserved? And he's particularly responding, uh, and he's quoting that because I said that in one of my original posts about them mm-hmm. not deserving my individual defense. And, you know, they took that, isolated for that, and they tried to make that seem like I said that that individual specifically in response to whatever it was that he was doing deserved to get beat up or I don't know what it was. And obviously that was never what I said. I never even alluded to that. But who cares about context? These guys just want to paint you as a as a evil person or unprincipled person when that couldn't be anything further um, from the truth. But what I was referring to was more strategy than anything. I always talk about how they're never going to reciprocate. They don't reciprocate uh, when it comes to that. And I think it's mindful from a strategic standpoint. I talk about this with Black Lives Matter as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably more, more with Black Lives Matter. These uh, these groups have already established groups within them. They have already established ideas. They have already established um, uh, things that they want to advocate that they feel are a solution. If I go back that group, I'm effectively just backing what they already, what they want. And all, and quite often, what they want is worse. Um, and I can they can use me as their useful idiot to push what it is that they have. We already saw this, for example, with the defund the police thing. It was a complete fraud. Complete fraud. It, it was never about actually, let's say, having the individuals within those areas keep the taxes that would just say pay for this form of security and, and, and I guess come up with their own voluntary measures. That was never on the table. All they mm-hmm. wanted to do was continue to rob you via taxation and then reroute the funds to the woke police. That's it. That was it. That was it. They want to reroute it to the woke police, social services and all these other things. It had nothing to do with the legitimate actual defund. It wasn't working towards a freer, freer, like more libertarian society. So, I think from a strategic standpoint, libertarians need to be careful in trying to latch on to these. And this is the what we suffer from. I think the Libertarian Party, unfortunately, has this really bad as well, where it's it's like we're sad puppy dogs. Like we're not leaders. We don't lead our own movements, lead mm-hmm. our own with our own things. Like we we're the ones with the ideas. I don't have to latch myself on to Black Lives Matter or all these other groups or movements that exist. I don't have to do any of that. They should be latching themselves to me because I'm the one with the ideas. Um, and I think strategically, again, because of that sad puppy dog thing, people got offended by what it was that I said because they they want to appeal to these groups, even though that's not going to work, uh, how at least they're doing it. And they feel that that's a threat, I guess, to that. 
Right. So I think, um, yeah, for again, in case for people listening to this down the road, that yeah, so recently Joe Jorgensen tweeted out, you know, saying it's not enough merely to be not racist. You got to be actively anti-racist and then hashtag Black Lives Matter. So a bunch of us, I know you, I did a little bit, Dave Smith, of course, were criticizing it. And my point was, I understand the the you know the the desire to to reach out and my right. point was she could have just said the standard libertarian position <laughs> yeah. on like drug legalization you know competition da, 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 you know get rid of public schools get rid of minimum wage laws those things would all revitalize the inner city way better than you know reforming the police which right. everybody is for and it hasn't worked in decades you right. know? so why don't we try something new and hey guess what everyone this is standard libertarianism and like you're saying instead it seemed like sort of just a of, of an insincere, I'm not saying insincere, but it could have come off like that. Cause like Dave said, this is something Citibank or Bank of America could have tweeted out. Yeah. And like, you, yeah, you it's like, again, it's just latching, it's, it's, it's like latching on to their, their, their thing. It's so weird that that was the direction that they wanted to go, but it's not effective. I just, it's just simply not effective. Um, I, this is not going to get them to, let's say, I adopt our ideas. And I'm not, and I talked about this with Maj and, and Larry Sharp too, like my story and Larry Sharp, about how, look, you can talk to them. I'm not against anybody talking to those groups, having debates, having discussion. But Camille, it's funny, like all the black, most of the black libertarians, like Camille Foster as well, he was like, why why even do that? Like, what what are we doing? And we're, like all the black libertarians like, why do that? Like, why engage? They're trying to signal to black folks and the black libertarians like, no, we have the ideas behind us this is not necessary you you put it perfectly like all she had to do was appeal to this same thing walter you know walter was dr walter Williams had been doing for for years it's like we know there are policies when it comes to these inner cities that are detrimental to their advancement detrimental to their economic growth you can just give the standard libertarian solution to that you don't have to adopt the rhetoric you don't have to adopt uh, their their slogans or anything like that in order to put those ideas out there. It's completely unnecessary. It's unnecessary. But they actually believe that, okay, this is going to get them to support us. It, that, that's not how it works. The, well, definitely for something like Black Lives Matter, it's already established, man. It's already established. They already have their groups within it. They have uh, the groups that fund their movement. Like they're, they're, they have a base of individuals that want to use this, let's say, to lead in a policy change. They already exist. There's nothing that you could you could do as a libertarian to try to hijack that and then make it libertarian. Like that's it's too far down the road to to get that. And from a strategic standpoint, I would love for them to be more mindful of that because it's this like sort of weird signal like kind of appeal thing where they're like, "Yes, I have to I have to do this." Because they, if, if this is the right thing to do, if they, if I don't do this, they won't support me. And that's just a completely bogus. Libertarians, we have the ideas behind us, and I, I wish that we'd act like it. Hey, everyone. Let's just take a break from the discussion for me to mention, if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear it more frequently, that I encourage you to support the show. For details, go to bobmurphyshow.com slash contribute. Thanks. I wanted to circle back and just give you a chance to explain, because... The person who's not familiar with your professional success might have thought, oh, Eric must be struggling, but actually your backwards is doing quite well. Yeah, no, backwards uh, is, oh man, more than well, like well, more well than I ever could imagine because we went the route. I learned a lot being in fire from the guys, uh, the other band, 
members have been in other successful bands as well. And we learned a lot about the industry. And, um, you know, we, we went into it going fully independent, like, and about fully independent, I mean, we own our publishing, like, this is, this is what mm-hmm. we do. And we're reaping the economic benefits because of it. You know, back was that first album. You look at the sound scans that we could drop. We had the number one, we were the number one alternative new artist, number two Heat Seeker album on Billboard charts. Uh, we were like top 20 uh, with rap, and I believe in a rap chart. Uh, our turn, like hard rock charts. I think we talked like sixth in the hard rock chart. Like we did incredibly well. I know our haters hated that. They they absolutely hated that because they they want to put us in this kind of like we're like this niche kind of thing. It's like oh well, these, the only people that listen to them are all just other libertarians. It's simply not true. It's simply not true. We sell too many records for that. Uh, but yes, backwards is seeing a lot of success. Uh, in addition to the obviously the other things that I do, but we're seeing a lot of success. Hopefully we can get up for this. We don't know when the second album is going to drop. I know everybody keeps asking. It's like, dude, this COVID thing kind of derails mm-hmm. everything. Um, so, I'm, so, so one of the my uh, supporters had asked me to ask you, do you think you're linking the music with the overt political messaging? Do you think that helps you or hurts you? Is it the kind of thing where, oh, we could have gone further, but we, we got to do this for the cause? Or is it actually, no, you hit the sweet spot where... It helps. I think I think we did hit that sweet spot, but there is absolutely merit to the idea that if we were not that, if we weren't what we weren't, we probably would have saw more success. Now, also, I have to think to what we have blended in, like, you know, I mean, what are maybe not with our style, but what if we let's say if we just were having the same old generic kind of music, vague, very vague uh, type of thing, like would we have blended in? Would we have taken off? Like cause a lot of us taking off had to do with people feeling refreshed about the fact that we were making this music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like libertarians listen to music, uh, non-leftists do listen to music. You know what I mean? And we got, we like got that whole, that whole base that existed because right. of that. You know what I mean? In addition to the people that were listening to us in like previous bands. So I think we hit the sweet spot because we mixed more so the fact that we were going to be independent with it. I think I could understand where if we were just like, if we wanted to go the, stereotypical like okay you gotta sign a record sign sign for a label uh go through all of their mediums all through their channels all the gatekeeping that they participate in go through all of that in order to do to be successful then i could see where that would have been a problem if we were vague and we weren't open but i think we hit the we got a little bit of both worlds right we the music was good on it on its own and i think it actually helped us to be as open as we were because it did open up opportunities that came from, let's say, people that were non-leftists, right? And then we could also schedule shows and stuff around it. For example, we did Pork Fest, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do Pork Fest way down in New Hampshire. So we did Pork Fest, but, you know, we did we did a route up, we did a route back. You know what I mean? And the shows were awesome. So it's just little stuff like that. Also, having being able to own our own, our own narrative, we don't have to go through these. And I think that's why a lot of people don't like us is because... They actively, and by they, I mean and people within our industry, actively try to suppress us, and they just couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. Internet is a is a cr- crazy thing these days. Like, you'd be surprised what all you can accomplish uh, that you couldn't accomplish even 10 years ago, right? The, the amount of technological advancements that exist now that allow us to, like, between the streaming and all of that, just, just really allow us, we don't have to go through the 
channels, the proper channels anymore. We don't have to jump into a three album, four album option deal. We don't have to wait for our label uh, or our agent to sit up here and, and, and book us shows. We don't have to do that. We can just do it ourselves. So I think we hit the sweet spot. I think we really did hit the sweet spot. But yes, by sweet spot, I, I want to be very clear that, yes, we have lost out on opportunities because mm-hmm. of our, our politics and, and stuff. But I think the, the gain has just been more worth it. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it, it might be sort of be like a false dichotomy that this, like you couldn't have written, like you wouldn't be excited writing songs That's about true. stuff you didn't believe in. Yeah. And so the music probably wouldn't have been as good. I know, absolutely. Like it wouldn't have been as good. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been like as passionate because even the people that maybe disagree with us, a lot of people that respect us because we are like, it, it feels like yeah, this is what mm-hmm. a, uh, you think punk rock was about, right? It feels that way. It, it feels like, okay, these guys... Believe in what they believe in. Yes, you wouldn't have got that product. You wouldn't have got veracity, right? If if uh, we were kind of the same old milk toast generic band. Yeah, and it's you're kind of reminding me. I remember the career advice because there was a period for like PhD students who liked Austrian economics. There was different advice because some people would be like, "Oh, just be have it be stealth. Like, you know, do your regular papers, do econometrics, blah blah blah. Get so get to a regular school." You know, then when you get tenure, then all of a sudden, surprise, I'm Austrian. You know, <laughs> but the problem with that is, you know, you, for one thing, just it would crush your soul to right. like, you know, be living alive for 15 years. But also, they were saying, well, no, if you're openly Austrian, the few places that want to hire you, they need to know who you are. And right. if you keep it hidden, then they don't know how to find you. Exactly. So, yeah. so there's there that kind yep. of trade. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. That's kind of a perfect analogy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I did want to ask you a bit about, as I can see, you've got like Wolverine and some other people <laughs> hanging up there on the wall. So that's one component of of Eric July is you're into, into comics. And so do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, uh, I'm a big comic guy. And uh, over the recent years, I have been able to, you know, really using the platform that's talking about all the other things, um, you know, then whether it be my YouTube channel, and and really letting people in on, on that side of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not just, you know, a hard, you know what, all the time uh, <laughs> talking about politics and everything. Mm-hmm. It's not that's not who it is. I'm, I'm a video gamer. I'm a big time comic book guy. And, um, you know, that's that's been my world for as long as I can remember. It's just now I can afford the hobby <laughs> like mm-hmm. as an adult, like I can afford the hobby, which I couldn't. But I was right. when I was a kid. But yes, I'm a big time comic book guy. And, um, you know, if people that follow me, for example, on like YouTube, you've seen a lot of comic book, comic book related material that I've released uh, over the years. And uh, hopefully at some point, you know, within the next year, I'm thinking about I'm not thinking about I pretty much made the decision that I'm going to put out my own comic book uh, as well. But, yeah, I'm a big comic guy. And that's just a big part mm-hmm. of who it is that, that I am. Let me run this theory by you, because I thought in like the last let's say 15 years or so, clearly there's been a trend in the U.S. theaters that it's superhero movies and zombie apocalypse movies were really big. And I thought that wasn't a coincidence that the American public knew that bad times were coming and we needed like heroes to be able to rise up and that sort of thing. How do you feel about that? Yeah, no, most definitely. I think the the political climate and uh, the social political climate for sure got people more interested in 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 that in that type of deal you know mm-hmm. and this is why the movies comic book movies aren't necessarily new right, right. Uh, but you know there's a difference between the last 10 years 10 15 years mm-hmm. 
uh, in comparison to those back in the gap. Like it's a completely different thing. Obviously, people want to invest more. People are more more into it. And that to me, is it does speak to that heroism and what people want out of uh, individuals to be great and be be something bigger than certainly um, themselves. Mm-hmm. And what better way to sort of depict that than comic book characters is that's that's mm-hmm. modern American comic books. That's what they uh, really personify more so is the, the characters um, in that it's generally they are bigger. They tr- strive for something bigger than just themselves. Um, you know, you deal with this with Spider-Man and, you know, the likes with Spider-Man. It seems like no matter how much he helps, uh, you know, people don't appreciate it. And, you know, it's just mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So it, it, it and that's what I've loved about comics um, historically. I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people think that uh, maybe not as much as they do now, but certainly there was a period of time where people thought that it was just it was like four kids. You know what I mean? Right. And, that couldn't be obviously anything further from the truth. I mean, I would hope you're not having some of these stories, you know, uh, the Batman depictions. I would hope your kids actually aren't reading those uh, because they can get really dark, uh, like really, really mm-hmm. dark. Um, but, you know, in some cases I was speaking with the Sasuke sisters. They are uh, they do a lot of horror films uh, and the, they also wrote the recent, not the recent Black Widow run, but a Black Widow run in the comic books, a limited series. And I got to talking to them about some of this. And they were saying, you know, it's maybe a positive thing, which they, they kind of put me on game, but like that, you know, youngsters were reading it because that's how they kind of learned about the world um, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. But yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions of, around comic books and the being for like four kids. And that's not how they ever really have been wrote uh, or anything. And I think there's a lot that individuals, definitely for in terms of escapism, I mean, there's, there's a lot for for people, you know, to read out there. And you don't have to read the new stuff. It's stuff mm. that's been wrote for 30 years. Well, yeah, I, I vaguely remember when I was watching the, uh, like the X-Men cartoon as uh, a kid and how, you know, like the, the regular society would like pass laws against the mutants and stuff. And I remember being kind of shocked, like, but, but the X-Men are the heroes. How do they not, you know, like, whereas yeah. like in DC, it's, it's more typical that the public loves Superman and whatever, right. you know what I mean? Whereas there, so that, that, I, I guess, you know, part of understanding how the world works, that, that yeah. realism did, did it percolate through that route. So I, I was reviewing some of your stuff. I, I saw them at the time when you, but I went back and looked at them. So for the uh, the Captain Marvel movie, <laughs> if I recall correctly, it was neat because you your review you had like a, a, three things like you were saying if you if you don't know anything about it and you just watch it as a movie, yeah, it's it's okay. You're probably thinking all right. And then I think you said if it's if you just know the MCU, the Marvel uh, comic universe, what is it called? Marvel, the Marvel universe, Cinematic Universe. Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, so if you just saw the movies about Marvel stuff, also not you know okay. But then you said, if you're actually if someone who's read the comics, I think you said it was a crime. Yeah. Is that the word you used? Yeah, that, it's a crime. <laughs> so what, just briefly, what was what was so criminal about that for those who read the comics? Yeah, man, like, so, I mean, where do I start? Like, with that movie, it was so much wrong with it. Like, look, imagine this. Imagine you, you know, you talk about a character uh, or you talk about characters that are within it uh, in, in an upcoming movie. And then, like, you, you get people hyped up, right? And then the movie comes out, and it's, like, the total opposite of what it is that you were saying was awesome and what, like, all of it. It's not even nothing near that. And it was a bait and switch big time. But what I it was two particular things that I felt was just criminal about that. So mm-hmm. for those that don't know, Captain Marvel 
who you know as Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, has only been Captain Marvel for not even 10 years, right? Not even 10 years. I think 2012 was when she actually became Captain Marvel. Carol Danvers had been a character known as Miss Marvel before. And she's a completely, basically, she's just a female version of a previous character that existed by the name of Marvel, who is Marvel's, not he's Marvel's Captain Marvel. For those the old school fans, yes, there's a difference between Marvel's Captain Marvel and what well, they don't call him Captain Marvel anymore. They call him Shazam on, on, on the DC side, but we're talking about Marvel. So Marvel is there's so much history involved in him. Like this is where you got really Thanos, like uh his first kind of big battle with Marvel ever was happened in Marvel's uh uh, Captain Marvel's comics, right? Uh, OG Captain Marvel, Marvel. Now, Marvel also passed in uh, 19, I think, 82, and they've kept them dead. They're, this is one of the few characters that they, like, killed off and kept them dead, but it was a big deal when it happened. So uh, you can get a, you know, it was one of Marvel's big, like, first big, like, graphic novels. It, it was called uh, The Death of Captain Marvel, and he basically dies from cancer. And it was a really big deal when it happened. So that character is Mar- it's a lot of history involved in him. You go to the movie, right? The movie, first of all, he the movie has Marvel being a woman. And mm-hmm. she it's not even anything like Captain the OG Captain Marvel and Marvel. So that in itself I had an issue with. But also, Captain Marvel, the first, the second Captain Marvel, the second Captain Marvel to exist was a black woman by the name of Monica Rambeau. Uh, she that that she's not connected to old, old Marvel like Miss Marvel is. Like Miss Marvel. Uh, was connected to Marvel, and that's how she, you know, she got her powers and all of that. Like uh, she was basically, again, she was female Marvel, but her name was Miss Marvel. It wasn't Captain Marvel. There was another Captain Marvel um, who who popped up by the name of Monica Rambeau, and Monica Rambeau was in this movie, but she was limited. She, she was a kid that basically looked up to Carol Danvers. I was like, wait a minute, what? Never, nothing ever like that happened in the movie. Yes, Carol Danvers was created before or had her first appearance before Monica Rambeau, but they're not far removed from having powers because I don't think Miss Marvel got her powers until like the late 70s. And 1982 was when Monica Rambeau uh, came up. So they were probably like four or five years even removed from having powers. They didn't know each other. They're not connected to each other or anything like that. She doesn't inspire her. Uh, In fact, Captain uh, Miss Marvel knew nothing about uh, even Captain, she, she'd only heard about Captain Marvel because people were calling her Captain Marvel and people was like, uh, I think the thing of from the Fantastic Four told her like, hey, there's another one that used to, a person that by the name of Captain Marvel that existed. They have no connection. Their power bases are completely different. So I took issue with the movie and the fact that it took those two characters and just derailed them. And it was all, all for the sake of, of boosting up this character in Captain Marvel. And Marvel has made it abundantly clear that they are all in on her. She started popping up in places she had no business popping up uh, in even the comic books uh, when she became Captain Marvel. So they were all in on that. But with those two characters and you know the history of them, like, I mean, Miss Marvel, I mean, not Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, she used to be the leader of the Avengers. She was a big deal back during the 80s. And for her to for them to limit her to someone that looks up to Carol Danvers was just just an absolute crime to me. Okay, absolute crime. <laughs> and you also were getting into like you were speculating on part of the motivation was like to get the girl power stuff, and that was the way they were doing it. Of course, like that was pretty obviously they they wanted a female character to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that had powers that was strong, 
But the problem with it is that they were dishonest with it. They were very disingenuous with it, and they didn't have to do it the way they did. Obviously, they already had a strong character in there and uh, a Scarlet Witch that's already in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. If they wanted to get behind one, they could have got with her. But there's a plethora of other characters that are way more preferable than, than she is as Captain Marvel, at least. I would argue that Carol Danvers was tolerable as Miss Marvel, but they they're now she's Captain Marvel. So for, for sure, that was the that was what they wanted to do. They wanted they were obvious with that. You had Kevin Feige. Uh, president of Marvel Studios. I think he's even more than that now. Talk, just lying through his teeth, talking about she's one of the most powerful characters in the comic books and will be the most powerful character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, they were all in on it. It was clearly an effort. The girl power thing was a, was a real thing, but it, they didn't even do that good because there were way other female. They had one. They already had one within the Marvel Cinematic Universe that could have led the charge if that was the direction that they wanted to to, to go and they just took one of the worst characters that they possibly could do to do it and then in the movie screwed up two more characters in the process <laughs> <laughs> okay so that's interesting so you because i didn't know you're saying captain marvel is are they making her stronger in the movies than she is in the comic books or well, is that not what well, you're saying no like it's more so you're seeing the growth they're trying to use the recent comic books to legitimize and cement her in the marvel cinematic universe like what you're seeing like again this you got to keep in mind like this is this is an eight-year-old thing, like right, like this isn't. This is not. This is more. So this is relatively new. Her as Captain Marvel is is a relatively new phenomenon. That's not anything that that really happened before. It was just that she she they wanted to, uh, and it makes sense, right? Marvel Comics Captain Marvel, like that. You know, there's a name thing there for namesake. That's why they wanted to do that. So they made her Captain Marvel. They got all in behind her. And like she's powerful. Like, I'm not saying that she's like weak in the comics by any means, but the issue that I had with more so with what Kevin Feige was saying is that he was trying to like, because when you say she's the mar- most powerful character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're saying that she's eclipsing Thor and Hulk, which is she's not stronger than either of those. Like, that's not even up for dispute in the comic book. So, yes, they are, in a sense, making her stronger than what she even is in the comic book. But there's also like they're trying to do this. Like she now has a half Cree sister in the comic. It's all getting ridiculous as far as what they're doing with this character. Okay. And then um going back to, to your you also had the series on who is Thanos. Mm. And so that one uh I guess I wanted to ask so for, given that they they couldn't, you know, they they obviously there's so much detail in the comics. Were you generally happy with how they translated that? Because it certainly is as movies, they worked. I mean, those were some amazing movies. Yeah, absolutely. Like, obviously, they they got I mean, pretty much every main storyline and arc in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They at some point pulled it from the comics. That's what made it so good. Now, the, mm-hmm. the recent deviation from that, you know, worries a lot of people about the next phase. But like from the Ultron thing, from all the way to the Infinity War, that all that is 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 a looser depiction of what happened in the comic books, which the Infinity Gauntlet arc in the comic book, mm-hmm. Thanos put all that stuff happened in the book, right? Like, like well, not all of it. The idea of him wanting to collect the, the Infinity Gems and, and, and you know, snapping, depleting half the unit, all that happened in the books. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where I, I was happy. I thought there was a lot of potential, though, that they they missed out on. Yes, you're right. Of course, there's more detail. There's only so much they can do. But I would have thought, and I did a video on this, instead of the Captain Marvel movie, which just was a waste, it had no reason to exist. They could have came out with that with the next phase because 
she's shoehorned and she she doesn't impact really the storyline at all. She shows up at the beginning of the Infinity, what uh, the uh, you know the second because you got Infinity War Endgame. That's what it is. So she shows up at the beginning of Endgame and the end of Endgame. No impact on the plot or anything. It's not like she defeated right. Thanos, and there's no right. she had no reason to be there. But they set it up like that. That's how. That's why I believe it sold so much. And why people were so itching to see it because they set it up that way. It was perfect marketing. It's like, yes, we sandwiched this movie here between the biggest cliffhanger because Thanos was successful in, in the Infinity War. And now we know that this is a movie called Endgame. If you want to know who's going to come impact this, you got to go see Captain Marvel. We said it in the past in like 1994, whenever they said that they said it. So you see that. And 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 I thought that what, what they should have done was come out with a more like a Thanos origin film. I think that would have been perfect because there were mm-hmm. so many other characters that that didn't get talked about that could have been brought in and you could have set the scene up for in Endgame. Like you could have had, uh, like for, for example, Thanos is, uh, you know, where he's from. You know, he's, a, you know, Titan, Mad Titan is what we call it. So with him being from Saturn's moon and, and so forth, there's a whole world there. And that could have that could have even been a way to sort of segue. Even if you said that he was already dead, that could have been a way to bring in the OG Captain Marvel. This is why I think there and there's, there's two characters that are so critical to his legacy. When you think Thanos, it's Captain Marvel, the first one, and and uh, Adam Warlock. Neither of them showed up. Adam Warlock was alluded to in like the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, but I think there was something that was going on with the director there. Uh, and they didn't even touch on that ever again. So there's a lot of potential that I think they dropped out. The Thanos, it was it was so it was a decent p- depiction. I'm not gonna say it was trash or anything. It was a decent depiction. I'm more upset with the fact that they they that it was a it was a perfect opportunity to do like a Thanos origin film, which would have set the scene for even the next phase. But they didn't even bother to even try with that because they wanted to give you Captain Marvel. So is it? Am I right in saying? Because in the Captain Marvel movie, they made it look like she knew the young uh, Nick Fury. Is that not? Yeah, they made her. No, that no, no. They they had no like. There was no connection to to those characters. A lot of those characters that were there. And if they if they are, it's more of a retcon, right? It's more of a retcon, Mm -hmm. like that was recently recently introduced. Historically speaking, uh, Carol Danvers had no connection to Marvel. She was not Kree. Uh, that was a retcon as well. Like she was not Cree. Well, she's like half Cree. Uh, she's not, not. That's not the case. That was never how she got her powers or anything like that. She got her powers from an accident, uh, which the Cree device gave her powers. But if she wasn't half Cree, now it's said that she's half Cree uh, and half human. So all of that stuff was just a complete retcon of of, of what it is. She was. It's nothing like who you know her when definitely if you knew her as Miss Marvel, that's, that's nothing like it. So among other things, it's just a complete deviation from the source material. Mm-hmm. Now, I recently had uh, Dan Sanchez on because he had written about Superman and I asked him this and I'm curious your thoughts. Do you have any, to me, it seems obvious that for some reason the Marvel movies just crush, you know, in terms of being great movies that the audiences love them, whereas DC struggling. Mm-hmm. And do, do you know why like is it obvious to you like why is the one formula working and the other one like even though they've got these iconic characters superman batman wonder woman it's like almost painful sometimes to watch these films yeah like i think that dc tried too hard to be marvel right Mm -hmm. like to be marvel in a way that like people need to understand that marvel 
was a 10-year process, right, of, of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Was now going into 12, I think, what was that, 2008? When, uh, uh, t- 2008, 2009, when Iron Man came out, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about they built this universe from the ground up, and it took them a long time to do it, right? Well, DC was trying to get to that point, you know, connecting all the other characters and stuff, to, and they tried to... Tied up too quick, Justice League and 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 uh, you know between Batman v Superman, like you're kind of tied up too quick. And my what I argue that DC should have done is, of course, you want that continuity aspect, you want that canon aspect when it comes to all right, you're gonna have characters exist within a universe, and though they might not all be in the same movie, they exist simultaneously. That's what you want. Uh, that's what comic books is about. What I would have rather them, instead of trying to be them, I'd rather them try to take the, the route of making just more, making a universe, taking their time to make it, but going all the way in on the more mature universe. Like, there's a reason why Joker works so well, right? And it's not, it's mm-hmm. not attached to the universe. It's not attached to DC's universe. But there's a reason why the Joker movie worked as well as it, as it is. And I think that's what people expect definitely nowadays from DC darker films like you when you think the dark now you think batman you think these are films that are that are, are these characters are more they go they get into more let's say complex like but look man these marvel movies are popcorn flicks for the most part where mm-hmm. dc taps into to the psyche more and they should have they should have went all the way in on that and instead of trying to rush this universe they should have went all in and making them more because they have like for example dc black label which exists which are, are strictly like adult um depictions of the characters, right? Like they're more like they're they're adding blood, guts, all that stuff is in there. I wish they would have went that route, made it more they still did the idea of having an extravagant universe, but just went all in on making it more adult, let's say appealing to more mature audiences. They do have rated R films that they let birds of prey. Uh I think the well I think Birds of Prey got knocked down if I'm not mistaken. But uh what was that? Suicide Squad was rated R, right? Mm-hmm. So I think if they kept going that route it would have been been better, but a lot of it they, they they seem to try to do what Marvel was doing, not understanding that Marvel took a while to get to where they where they are. Like it wasn't anything that just happened in 3 years. Like that was something that that took a minute to minute to become great. Um, how do you feel? Because I think Marvel almost got maybe lucky is not the word, but them casting Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, I think was perfect, like for the blend of like being a serious male lead, but also kind of funny and self-deprecating like that kind of set the tone for the whole franchise. Yeah, I mean, Iron Man, I mean, he his yeah, him being Iron Man was godsend. And this is a kind of weird point at Robert Downey Jr.'s career, too. Uh, like mm-hmm. he, he says that Iron Man saved him. Um, so, I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, I like having and popping it off with him. I mean, he was a perfect character to really, uh, a perfect person to center the universe or start or pop off the universe more so. Because notice like there, you know, they had the X-Men movies, but those were still like kids movies for nerds. You know what I mean? Whereas like with Robert Downey Jr., he almost gave regular people permission to go watch the movie. Yeah. Yeah, he, most definitely. Yeah, saying. no, because yeah. I mean, yeah, he had struggles like a regular human being, like a regular adult. And yeah, he ca- he his casting did a lot for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was and yeah, some of it's luck. Some of it is lucky. And, and even the the time that it like the place that it took, because you know, this is like right after because Marvel, I would say it wasn't him that saved Marvel. I would say Blade saved Marvel. Blade at least got people like back into seeing like 
comic book films. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. was just the perfect. Dep- he, was, he was a decent depiction of 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 the character, and I think you got the best of both worlds, where he had more mainstream appeal. But it also, you know, there were those that, that knew the comic books and they they couldn't be, you know, they had to be satisfied with what right, Robert right. Downey Jr. gave them. And, which, and that's all I could expect. That's all I can anticipate. Like, don't crap on the source of material and just make the mm-hmm. character like yeah. the character. And, you know, if he's good enough, he'll appeal to everybody else. Mm-hmm. So last thing here, can you give us any hints about, you mentioned that you're going to start your own. Are you able to talk about that or is it still? Uh, yes, I'm able to talk about it a little bit. Like, look, I've 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 long had this this idea to do this uh, and building my own and my own universe, comic book universe. But now is just the time to do it more than more than uh, before because again, financially, I'm where I need to be to make it happen. I, I have the following now, um, but more importantly, comic books is at an odd stage right now. You have a uh, you have these different groups that are popping up that are becoming independent artists, right? former DC guys, former Marvel guys. And because of the crowdfunding element, like Indiegogo and stuff, like people are making way more money than they ever made in comic books being writers. Like I've had Ethan Van Skyver, uh, who he he used to do. He was really rooted in like doing the old Green Lantern stuff. Uh, and with for DC, worked for DC, worked for Marvel a little bit as well. I think he did some X-Men stuff with Marvel. But a lot of his stuff was DC related. And he made, his Cyberfrog comic made a million dollars like on Indiegogo. Like that's what you can go look at the numbers right now. I think he's one of the first campaigns to ever do that. Obviously he's made way more money than he's ever made as an artist for Marvel or DC. So the timing is great because people not only are looking to these alternatives, some of it's Marvel and DC's on doing more so Marvel. Marvel's comic comic books in a tough spot right now. So the timing is great, but this is something that I've always wanted to do. Like I've always wanted to see if I to give myself a shot at it. And the mm-hmm. comic, you know, what you generally expect from a from a DC, you know, or Marvel comic classic stuff, um, uh, you know, superpowered beings. These are all things that I'm going to entertain um, with the book. Hopefully, I can get. I'm starting sort of the writing stuff uh, now, um, and getting that sort of hashed out and getting my team built as well. Uh, for people that are going to rock this thing out. So it, it's going to take a little bit uh, for me to do that, but that's something that's on the horizon. And that's a big time, that's a big time anticipation that that I've always had. I've always knew I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just now is the perfect time to do it. Okay, well, that's exciting. Uh, so folks, if you want to see links to some of the stuff we talked about, it's bobmurphyshow.com slash 143. My guest has been Eric July. Eric, thanks so much for your time. Hey man, I appreciate you having me. All right, great. Good luck with everything. Thank you. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com. Bob Murphy Show.